This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. As Jason Elias reflects upon the health crisis now facing us, he keeps hearing Chibo's gentle, insistent voice. In the past, people practiced the Tao, the way of life, he said. They understood the principle of balance. They maintained well-being of body and mind. The words are thousands of years old, but the wisdom is timeless. Jason knows from experience that the pathway to health and harmony is not as formidable as it may initially seem. The brilliant gem is in our hands, advises a favorite Zen saying. We don't have the time to wait until the ozone hole is mended, the groundwater is purified, and the air is once again free of contaminants. To restore harmony, we must initiate the change ourselves, taking control of our bodies and accepting responsibility for our health. If we can restore balance within ourselves, we will have taken the necessary first step to restoring balance without... Valeria Tellis interviews Jason Elias, the author of The Seven Graces of Ageless Aging, How to Die Young as Late in Life as Possible. Jason Elias has been in private practice since the 1970s, treating thousands of patients by integrating acupuncture, herbal medicine, bodywork, and nutrition. Over a period of 40 years, his professional training has included work in the United States with acknowledged leaders in the fields of psychology, the Alexander Technique, massage therapy, bioenergetic therapy, traditional Chinese medicine, and herbal medicine, both Eastern and Western. His passion for discovering the root of healing has taken him around the world in search of the commonalities among the healing traditions of ancient cultures. In Japan, with masters of Aikido. In Hong Kong, with a prominent Chinese acupuncturist and herbalist. In India, with Ayurvedic master and in the Philippines, studying with their indigenous psychic healers. Author of several books, Jason has been the keynote speaker at conferences on health and wellness and has been a frequent guest on television, radio, and podcasts. Meet Jason at 5elementhealing.net. Here's the interview with Jason Elias. In your own words, who is Jason Elias? Jason Elias is a persistent and uh, continual seeker. Uh, my life has been seeking, seeking, seeking truth, seeking love. And I feel it's kept me on the path 
and at 74 years old, I'm still a perpetual student, as Suzuki said, Zen mind, beginner's mind. Mm. And I yeah. feel I'm yeah. constantly learning and learning to open my heart more. So that's, that's who I am. What is one truth about life and death you have found as of this moment? As of this moment, I've, I'm actually working on a book on death and dying. Yeah. Uh, you know, death and life, we're, we're the same energy. Uh, it's kind of like I want to embrace life. I want to enjoy and squeeze the juice out of every moment. But I feel that at a certain point, the vehicle, this very body, doesn't serve us anymore. It either becomes too painful or old. It's like a pair of jeans that we're really, really, really attached to. And at a certain point, it'll be time to let it go. But while I'm here... I really want to honor the body as the temple to the divine and treat it well because I'd like it to service me and service the spirit for years to come. When we go deeper into spirituality, which I'm also a truth seeker, I found that the body is the component that seems to be the most real out of all the others. And that's a very interesting thing when we find out that the body is also not real. That the body connects us to the immediacy of now. That the mind gets in the way and it's always in the past or in the future. The mind cannot really be present. So presence can only be felt through the senses, which we, we feel through the body. But it, it brings us beyond the body. That's Obviously, I love talking about this stuff. So. Yeah, me too. We'll be here for, yeah, right. And then the idea of time when we talk about the present moment as a time idea concept. And then we also know that time is a human imagined element. It doesn't exist, really. What is another word for aging? What comes to mind at this time, Jason? You know, I guess as I'm moving through that process, it's, Refinement. It's a good question. I haven't thought of it, but it's refinement. I mean, uh, getting rid of the stuff that we no longer need to embrace that which is really essential. So aging to me is letting go of the stuff that really doesn't work, that bogs me down, that creates attachments. Do you wonder why we have so many challenges um, in the body, in mind, realities? Yeah, it's, yeah I, I feel you know, it's like the Indian concept of karma. We need right. to work through the outer layers. You know, it's like peeling an onion. Right. I like the concept that there's no pit in an onion. Yeah. You keep pulling <laughs> pit, you get centered, there's nothing there. Right. And that's when we connect. So mm. I love the process of peeling, but I, I've learned so much from the elders in my life that I really honor it aging and that process the word you use the title of the book um seven i love that number for some reason too and grace oh grace is grace there's something about this word that inspire this dance just flowing with life dancing with whatever this called life brings to us it's being able to move with it without getting stuck which is a, a wonderful, instead of a challenge, yeah, I love to see that as a graceful movement or graceful way of living. Well, thank you. 
because that adds, I knew when I picked the title that Grace felt right, but you've given me more. It, it is the dance. And thank you. That's great. What does it mean to embrace mortality from your perspective, Jason, personal perspective? What would that look like? It, you know, being around people who have passed, being living through COVID, which we all have, you know, we, we realize how fleeting and uh, temperamental life can be and that we can lose it at any moment. So I think embracing mortality is to really understand on a cellular level the eternalness of this very moment and the ability to appreciate it and savor it because we don't know if we'll have another moment. Right. And, you know, with COVID, with these diseases and with aging and our own diseases, you know, we really have to look at impermanence. What is healing to you and what are some of the misconceptions about healing? To me, healing is not about being able to cure someone. That's very Western. Uh, There's a lot of ego involved with healing. Many of the healers I know are true healers, and which means that there's a humility. They know that they don't do the healing, that something moves through them, whatever we call that force, whether it's, you know, whatever we're trained in, spiritual or energy, uh, the danger with healing is the ego. It really gets very involved in being the medium that makes someone better. And to me, healing is really about being able to connect with someone in a loving way and letting that energy that comes with love be transformative. And that transformation often gives the body what it needs to heal itself. I think it's a figment of our imagination that we can make anyone better. Mm. But to really have someone believe in their ability to get better and to give their body permission to heal itself uh, works. That that may be a bit obscure, but to me, healing is really about transmission and lack of ego. Because the more ego, the more it's me that's doing it, the less the transmission how do you define the ego? Is that the false idea of who we are or what life is all about or something else? <laughs> yeah, it really is. I mean, Carl Rogers used to define neurosis and psychosis as, you know, there's an ideal self and there's a self-image. Right. The greater the gap between the self-image and the ideal self, the more dysfunctional we are. Mm-hmm. The more we can bring the self-image up, and the ideal self down, we create health. The ego is to identify with this self-image, like I am this or I'm that. And it really becomes an exercise in futility because perfection doesn't exist. We're not going to be the perfect healer, the perfect anything. You know, and if we can surrender and really be present, then we create a space that we can be a healer, we can be... You know, I mean, you you embrace life then. The way I usually see it, it's being life itself. I usually say that, not sure what that comes from, but also unconditional love comes to me a lot. This, right? Yeah, and that's, that's egolessness. It's not, yes, that really fits. It's wonderful. 
What is your understanding of spirituality, Jason, as of today? Well, I've always <laughs> been a spiritual seeker, as I said. Spirituality is really simple. It's being in the presence of the present. Mm. It's that simple. To really be present. And when you're present, when there isn't a dichotomy and you're not thinking about what you have to do tomorrow, but you're really present, I think we emanate a state of love and awe. Mm. When I'm in nature, mm. that's the best way for me to tap into spirituality. So mm. it's not a belief in a thing or in a religion, because I really feel most religions separate us from spirituality. True. Because if we feel we have the one true way, we negate you know, the rest of the world's experience. True. So you know, it's more Buddhist or Taoist. This is a beautiful way of putting it. Yeah, being present with what is present. And if we can do that just openly without any fear of acting or in a certain way or being whatever we are programmed, conditioned to be, then it is, yeah, it becomes this very magical experience in a way, very spontaneous too, because now you're just flowing again, dancing with life. Yeah, you, you have it and you know it. And that's the beauty. But the question is really how to communicate that to others. That's what I wonder a lot of times. Like, is that really something that we are meant to share or it can only be like, as you said, transmitted? We don't have to work on it. We don't have to plan or try too hard. <laughs> it will just happen. Uh, it's, it's a great question. I think we, if you've tapped into a state of grace. Yeah. I think you need to try to share it. Mm. And that's, you know, Jesus tapped into grace. Yeah. And the only way he could communicate that was through stories and parables. Buddha did the same. Like anyone who's tapped into, and I'm not making it special. Like I think right. you've tapped into it. Right. Right. You know, when we taste it, it doesn't mean we live it all the time. But mm. yeah. then we have a need to kind of, you know, try to give other people an experience. And either they get it or they don't or. You know, but right, right. Yeah, I don't feel I have a choice but to, to share it. I love that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. It's sharing that without the expectation of results, too. Right. If it helps somebody, great. And if it doesn't, it's okay, too. Because the foundation of that is always unconditional love. So it doesn't matter, really. I love that idea. It seems for the mind, for the intellect, is an idea, but it really resonates as truth. This is what this whole thing's all about. It seems like the absolute reality or what this really is, it doesn't take sides, no good, no bad. There's nothing, yeah, there's no division, no separation, no opposites. But at the same time, it really, um, it really feels benevolent. There's something that is, for some reason, um, that might be the imagination of something here, but yeah, it really, really seems like yeah, I, I feel when you've tapped into something, it's nature to share it. The flower doesn't bloom for someone else. It's It has to express its beauty and its nature. Right. You know, it's right. really, you know, yeah. So my last warm-up question for you, Jason, is freedom. What is your idea of freedom? What is to be free? Well, I mean, writing the book on aging and getting my 12 role models all of them claimed one thing. It was such a relief of not living up to anyone else's expectations. 
that what other people think we should be, it's nonsense. You know, yeah, we have yeah. to be who we are. Right. And it's so hard when there are so many expectations on us yes. from our parents, our clergy, our priests, our boss, yeah. you know, and the freedom to be who we are, whatever that be. That song to me, a poem. <laughs> yes. It's interesting. The creator of Gestalt Therapy, Fritz Perls, had a poem which was what he said Gestalt was about. And it was very simple. It goes, I am I and you are you. And if by chance we meet, it's beautiful. If not, it can't be helped. So mm-hmm. I, it actually begins, I'm not in the world to live up to your expectations. You're not in the world to live up to mine. Right. I am I and you are you. And if mm-hmm. by chance we meet, it's beautiful. If not, it can't be helped. And it used to be a poster, and they left that last line out. But I think it's very important. Yeah. <laughs> and when it comes to tapping into that freedom and being and just flowing, being who we are, is to not trying to be unkind and, and say no, like creating those boundaries and even releasing, letting go of people, places, and situations in general, just... Have you had the same challenge about... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I keep answering with, with poems, but <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to do it again, a short yeah, one. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, we, we're in the world and the world is based on g- games and etiquettes. Yeah. And we need to play them. It's essential to be in the world. Right. You know, as long as we know that we're playing the game and it's not condescending. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean I'm playing the game, but it's beneath me. The games can be fun. So R.D. Lang, who wrote a book called Knots, he wrote a number, so, you know, had this, we tie ourselves up in knots. So he said the first knot, which is normal for everyone, is they're playing a game. I see that they're playing a game. If I show them I see they're playing a game, I break the rules and they punish me. Therefore, I must play the game of not seeing I see the game. Mm. It's... It's, you know, so it's really, we need to play games, we need, but we can do it with an awareness that, you know, this is, you know, this is what we do and it's fine. And we can play it consciously and know when we're true to ourselves and know when we're not. And that's okay. So the title of your book is The Seven Graces of Ageless Aging, How to Die Young as Late in Life as Possible. What was the main inspiration and intention of writing this book, Jason? It really were my role models. My, many of them were my patients, often in their 80s and 90s and 100. And most of them, you know, were young. I mean, they were physically flexible. They, you know, and I yeah. wanted to know what their secrets were. I mean, how do you go into these later years and be so vibrant most taking no medications. And that became, you know, as I was entering my elder years, I wanted to know their secrets. And all of them were more than happy to be interviewed by me. And what I found were seven themes. And they became the seven graces. So I have little biops of these individuals who I call my pathfinders. And, And that's what the book is. It's really seeing the world through through their eyes into staying uh, young as late in life as possible. And the wisdom is theirs, and I'd love sharing it. 
talk to me about the importance uh, today of storytelling in healing, what role it plays in healing. Yeah, I, I really I did grow up with stories. I feel, you know, a truth and healing are not linear. You can't, you know, tell the truth in a straight, uh, straight line. Yeah. That, yeah. you know, you the storytelling gets someone into the flow mm-hmm. and the message comes through in the story. And it's engaging, you know, and I, I just feel I love storytelling. I love being told stories. I like being taken on journeys outside of, you know, the, the familiar. Right. So I, I find it's much easier to teach through story than through explanation. Also, another question I have for you before I ask you, I go through the seven graces of ageless aging. Oh, I love them all. But let me ask you a question about, yeah, how did you become a psychologist, Jason? Uh, basically, I was, I, I wanted to be a doctor my whole childhood. I was, and my gr- grandmother used to be an herbalist and she would take herbs and make poultices. And it turned out that her mother was a healer in Greece. But I was very bad at advanced math and physics. So I figured I'd never get to be a doctor. Let me try psychology. And I loved it. You know, I try, you know, so I I did psychology, had a practice, worked at a psychiatric hospital while I was in graduate school, but realized that a lot of the emotions were stored in the body. And I got, I don't know if you've heard of Rolfing, you probably have, but you know, I, I had deep connective tissue work that released all these feelings. And I realized the body and the psyche were one. And along the road, I discovered acupuncture, Chinese medicine, and other forms of healing. But I guess because I was a bad mathematician, uh, I, I might have been a doctor today, and I'm so glad I didn't. <laughs> so the seven graces, the first one, rewriting the script. Talk to me about that for a moment. Yeah, it's, it's really the power of the mind to... Our mind is incredibly powerful. We call it placebo or nocebo. If we believe something, it will happen. Uh, And very often, we have all these tapes that go around that when you're old, you're going to lose your mind. You're going to forget things. Your body's going to deteriorate. You know, so all of those tapes are floating around and they're creating the reality that we know more and more the power of the mind. So if we can become aware of the tapes that we've taken on that don't serve us, we can rewrite the script. We can change the tapes that as I get old, like you asked me before, you know, I become more sensitive to my environment. You know, that aging can be, it can be reversed to some degree. Eventually, death gets all of us. But I I look forward to getting older because Mm. I don't believe that old age and uh, getting decayed and decrepit go hand in hand. Age comes with blossoming. Age comes with becoming more who we are. So Mm, that's changing the script. So true. And we see that in so many these ancient cultures that the elders are considered the wise ones. Everyone goes to them. And our culture has really 
denigrated aging. You know, they want to put you in homes. And it's such a horrible concept. And we buy it. Like retirement. When you retire, you're retired. It means you're useless. Mm, And these things kill us, literally. So we need to change those tapes. From your experience and your research and your personal and professional, what is the best way of doing that, rewriting the script? Have you found a best way or there are many paths to it? Well, there are many paths, but the best way for me is catching myself in the old script and negating it. It's almost like a computer. And I say, delete. (laughs) Delete the old program. (laughs) You know, we're in the new age, so I guess we can, uh, because, you know, you can't do anything really to create the new, because it's really about not doing or undoing, Mm. but we can become aware of what we're doing that impedes the energy from moving and stop doing the negative. And then the positive comes, you know, but I did like, at times I used to put those notices around my house, like something on the mirror, you know kind of like in the old days, it was every day and every way I'm getting better and better, you know, those affirmations. So sometimes putting affirmations that I'm getting younger each day, just looking at that can really make a difference. And the second grace, I call it, uh, which it is, finding your tribe. This is something that I Usually when I think about relationships, yeah, I love them. I love relationships because we can learn so much. And the bond and the feeling of belonging is just incredibly healthy for the body and good relationships, of course, as you say. But then we have the danger of that too, the tribe mentality of doing what we do for a reason. And now we become judgmental and then we have enemies and then the other for being different is not accepted. Talk to me about what is to find our tribe in a healthy way. <laughs> it's really finding someone who accepts you for who you are and you accept them for who they are. So sometimes people are incredibly blessed to be born into a family where they're loved for who they are. Yeah. yeah. But when there are expectations laid upon us for me to be good or to be you know, accepted, I need to have certain beliefs and I... I have to kind of mutate who I am to be accepted in the tribe, then that becomes very negative. You know, we we need to find a group of people. It could be one person, one other person as a tribe. But, you know, you can find it through friends, through colleagues who have similar interests, through yoga groups, you know, through whatever interests you. If you find other people and you feel you're part of a community, so tribes can be acquired as well as born into and we need to feel out which ones feed us and nurture our souls and which ones really drain us or make us distort our being to conform to their expectations again so and it's really finding finding that you're blessed if you have both you know i love families because you've got history you've got so many things to share But if that family won't accept you for who you are, Mm. then we need to find the tribe that will. And when you get together with the family, you can play the games of etiquette, but, Mm. you know, spend less time. (laughs) Around them, right. Yeah. And, I mean, studies show how many years uh, having a good tribe adds to our life. 
you know, studies show that even just one or two good friends yeah. who we have that trust with adds years to your life pragmatically, you know, in numerous research studies. I love the um, number four, grace, awakening joy through simplicity and humor. Yeah, I have to say that's one of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I love that one too, the most, yeah. So talk to me yeah. for a moment about what is to live the simple life and um, yeah, how important sense of humor is. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, seriousness is a disease. <laughs> yes. You can't be serious yeah. in the moment, you know, mm. because you know, uh, seriousness is looking at the past and projecting possible past into possible futures. Yeah. You know, it's really, when you're in the moment, life is simple. What is, is. And in laughter, we let go of our baggage. So a person that really changed my life, who became one of my pathfinders, was Dan Klein, who wrote a book that changed my life called Travels with Epicurus. And he went to Greece, rather than having his mouth redone when he was 70 years old, to figure, okay, what is life about? And he loved Epicurus, the uh, philosopher. And Epicurus said, you know, that that which the happiness, you know, life is about happiness, but not about happiness that isn't lasting. It's about being able to be happy with simple things that last. If you're attached to a particular type of food and you can't get it, you're unhappy that you can't get it. Right. So the old saying is, you know, if you want to be happy, learn to love lentils. You can always get that. <laughs> True. <laughs> you know? yeah. And you know, getting rid of a lot of the stuff that bogs us down, it just feels very freeing. So I'll tell you a good joke. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> that is, I love that. I love that idea, right? So um, learn to love lentils because then you can find it anywhere and you can be happy. That reminds me of attaching to whatever it is as important or special, putting ourselves. And then, yeah, it doesn't sound like a, a good recipe. I mean, the truth, when I was in India, I was doing a meditation camp. And the first meditation we were supposed to do, we were on a village in Rajasthan uh, and different people doing this, this camp of different meditations lived in different people's homes. And the first meditation was to laugh upon awakening, which is ridiculous because, you know, it's cold in the morning. You have to get up at five in the morning to do this, you know, so the alarm goes off and I'm supposed to laugh and I'm yeah. sitting there and I'm going, ha, 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 ha. But I hear someone from the next house doing that. And all of a sudden, you know, because we're on this mountain, yeah. it becomes real laughter. And the days were so full of joy. I, I swear, you know, so at times I try to think of something funny in the morning and start the day with, with a smile. Yeah. We went through about three of them, The Seven Graces, and it's a wonderful book to read because I have to go back to it for the stories and I'm, I will give copies to my family members too, the elders okay. in my family, because it is very powerful in a sense of getting us to know what this is all about. Um, yeah, sense of humor, knowing who you are, not trying to compromise, because compromise won't get us there, that's for sure. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> I have a few more questions for you, the ending questions, before I ask them. Would you sure. like to add anything, Jason, or read a passage from your book? Gee, I don't have it in front of me. 
Uh, but I, I mean, the book to me, the writing was a joy. And I love, it's funny, I got a call yesterday. My uh, 95-year-old aunt has a copy of the book. And she reads something and she called me yesterday saying, I love this book so much. And then she read me something that she was reading. And at 95, you know, she has a little bit of dementia and her back hurts. You know, she's a Holocaust survivor. You know, I mean, she's very dear to me. And just hearing that joy, you know, Mm. in her voice, I said, well, that's worth writing the book. Right. But I feel like there's there's wisdom in the book again. That's not mine. It's transmitted from from all these sources, both my pathfinders and from time immemorial. There are tons of quotes and stories, and I feel it has the power to transform someone in some small way. There's always, you know. So I, you know, to me, I, I'd love to get it out, and I love that you you enjoyed it because that says a lot to me because of who you are. So, I mean, it really, yeah. Um, yes. And I love your humility. That's interesting because you, um, you keep saying that it just, it's something that's being transmitted. It's flowing through me. That's what I call benevolent. That this is life itself. There's something about it. That's uh, incredible, incredibly beautiful. So thank you for being nature itself, Jason. <laughs> No, absolutely. It's great. I just, I would like to give one more story because this yeah. happened today. Yeah. This happened today. When I finished my book, I had my 12 Pathfinders and I realized that I left out probably the most important to me, who was my mentor. Yeah. He was the first physician to train in Chinese medicine. He became my father figure, the benevolent father. Right. He taught me his way of taking pulses. I spent two years, one day a week with him at his practice. And we became very close and he moved to Florida and he's now, he's having his 98th birthday next week. Um, He wrote three books since he's been 95. So it's like, I, I talk about him in the introduction because it was like, I forgot to tell his story. You know, it was really important to me that he called me today, you know, sharing that it's going to be his birthday and uh-huh. that he appreciated the book and being in it. And it was very special. It feels like a gift, doesn't it? Yeah. So if you touched a few people, it's worth it, really. Especially coming from the place of no expectations. Yeah. If you knew you would die soon, meaning leaving the body, would you make any change or do anything in a different way? <laughs> Great question. I, I really wouldn't. I mean, I love what I do. You know, so I'm, I, I still have a full practice. I love writing. I love nature. You know, everything, everything is as it should. So, you know, I, yeah, I don't I, no, I really wouldn't change a thing. I would like to go consciously. I would like right. to be conscious. And we don't always get that blessing, you know, that, but. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. When you say conscious, it means um, just being free from pain, so you can be present, or it means something else. Well, I wasn't thinking that. I was thinking, yes, not to be drugged, right? You know, yeah. not to yeah. be uh, conscious, to be able to be fully cognizant of the transition. I've been around some people who died very consciously, and it was a benediction that death isn't the end. And at times, if we're open and don't just 
try to hold the person here, if we can surrender and allow them, something happens. There's a connection that's very special. Yes. And I'd like to be able to create that for the people around me that are attached to my form. That sounds like a wonderful vision and uh, desire. Yeah, I see that. I love this idea too. And it's unfortunate that a lot of people lose the body in drugged, numbed, or lonely, in loneliness alone. My last question to you is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? (laughs) Uh, That I am, (laughs) because I can see, taste, feel, and touch life, that when I allow myself, I love, and that comes back to me whenever I allow it out there, and that adversity inevitably is part of life, and if I can allow the pain, if I can allow the bad stuff without getting stuck and feel uh, victimized by it, I can move through it, because that too will pass. Thank you so much again, Jason. And I thank you. You're doing a real service by putting these things out there and your own books. So thank you. I absolutely love these moments. I call them my sacred moments, (laughs) being here. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Yeah, uh, the the best way is uh, my website, which is fiveelementhealing.net or .com. And it's spelled out five, F-I-V-E, elementhealing.net. Jason Elias, my name, .net, takes you to my author page. You know, and there's an author page on Amazon, and the books are all available if you just go on Amazon and put Jason Elias in there, and all the books come up. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, Jason, and we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Valeria. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Jason Elias and his work, please visit 5elementhealing.net. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.